Y'all ready? Let's do it. Hold on, hold on. Wait, wait. <laughs> okay, I'm ready. Stretch out, stretch out. <laughs> hold on. Another potty break. <sighs> Got break that in during our musical intro. Yeah, once you break <laughs> that seal, it's all over. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome back. It's episode 295 of Bourbon Pursuit, the podcast featuring news, reviews, and interviews with people making the bourbon whiskey industry happen. I'm one of your hosts, Kenny Coleman, and before we start today's podcast with another bourbon community roundtable, here's your weekly bourbon news update. So how much money is there in liquor? Well, there's so much so that it's starting to line the pockets of politicians big time, and it's mostly coming from distributors. A report produced using public records by Tom Wark He's the executive director of the National Association of Wine Retailers, and he shows that wholesalers gave politicians $40.6 million in state-level campaigns over the last two elections. That's more than double the amount donated by everybody else in the alcohol business combined. And wholesalers wrote another $47.1 million in checks to congressional and presidential candidates from 2017 to 2020. And Wark commented that wholesalers give so much money because they have the most to protect. The state mandate that people must buy from wholesalers is a huge financial and business advantage for the wholesalers, and it's a quasi-monopoly, and doing anything to protect that is a sound business decision. And unfortunately, this is just one more reason why we won't see much change happening as much as the public really wants it to. There is a small glimmer of hope, though. Illinois has some new legislation approved, and this proposal will create a brewery and distiller shipping license. Presently, brewers and distillers cannot ship to Illinois customers, but to comply with the Granholm requirements, the law will then open up brewery and distillery shipping markets to out-of-state brewers and distillers. There's also Senate Bill 532 and House Bill 3495 that aim to make cocktails to go permanent in Illinois. The Hawaii Senate passed Senate Bill No. 65, which is a measure that allows direct-to-consumer shipping of distilled spirits, which will get more craft spirits workers back to their jobs in the Aloha State. And in New Mexico, a 41 to 27 vote approved a bill that would expand the tasting of distilleries and broaden restaurant liquor licenses to include spirits with a 10 p.m. cutoff. And beer and liquor producers are fighting a proposed new tax that was introduced in Salem, Oregon. The proposal would add a 20% tax on alcohol sold at the wholesale level, and that would also lead to a price increase to customers. But supporters of the bill are hoping that it will generate $750 million in revenue over the next two years to help fight alcohol addiction. Personally, I can't imagine an additional 20% tax already on a very highly taxed product. In other news, though, a whiskey collection made up mostly of scotch sold for $9.1 million over at Whiskey Auctioneer with a new prize bottle being the Macallan 1926 Fine and Rare that set a new record of $1.4 million. Exports of Kentucky bourbon fell from $455 million in 2018 to $319 million in 2020. That's a 35% drop, but that isn't even the bad news. The bad news is that things could actually get worse in 2021. If the tariffs on American whiskey increased to 50% in June, and according to the KDA, the Kentucky Distillers Association, they are now lobbying President Biden to end this trade war once and for all. And now moving on to bourbon release news. The Evan Williams Bourbon Experience is releasing a 2013 vintage 115 proof bourbon that was dipped in hot pink wax for the limited edition Kentucky Derby Festival bourbon bottle. The bottle will feature a special face label 
with gold and teal Kentucky Derby Festival logo and includes an official 2021 Pegasus pin. The product will be available for purchase at the Evan Williams Bourbon Experience for $75. Michter's is also releasing its Barrel Strength Kentucky Straight Rye Whiskey on a national and international basis starting in March of 2021. This next release is a single barrel product with an average proof of around 110.3 and has a suggested retail price of $100. Woodford Reserve is releasing their 2021 commemorative Derby bottle, featuring the artwork of Louisville resident Richard Sullivan, which is a watercolor of thoroughbreds as they thunder down the stretch. This one liter bottle of Woodford Reserve bourbon is now on sale with a retail price of $50. And we're back with another Bourbon Community Roundtable, and this time we have three important topics to discuss. The rise and fall of Facebook groups, does knowing a sourced bourbon impact your willingness to buy or not buy? And at what point do we stop considering a craft distillery of actually being craft? With that, enjoy today's episode, and here's Fred Minnick with Above the Char. I'm Fred Minnick, and this is Above the Char. This week's idea comes from Brian Mackey. Mackey. I recently was sick, not COVID, thankfully, and once I started feeling better, I went for a small pour, but it tasted nasty and totally unlike what I normally would taste. That's been about a week ago, and still, although getting better, my palate is still not back to normal. Any idea why this is? You know, actually, I share a very similar experience. Anytime I get a cold or anytime I'm down and have allergies, it usually does take me a while to regain my palate to where it's 100%. And the thing is, is you got to know your palate. You can't just kind of go in willy-nilly and saying, oh, that doesn't taste like bourbon to me. You really do need to have a base bourbon that you can always go to. And you know, you know what? My palate's good. For me, that's Evan Williams Black Label. So, Brian... I would encourage you to go back and taste one more time and see if it is actually off or if maybe you're you're just trying a different bourbon or something. But yes, you, you know, the palate is like any other muscle or any other part of your body. It's going to take a while uh, to recover. You know, for most people, if you've been battling a sickness uh, a week or two, but in all honesty, if it doesn't get better, you really should go see a doctor because... The tongue is a part of your body, and you need to make sure that thing's working so you can keep drinking bourbon. And that's this week's Above the Char. Hey, if you have an idea for Above the Char, like Brian Mackey, hit me up on fredminnick.com, that's fredminnick.com, and send me your idea. Until next week, cheers! And they're off for another Get 270 2020 Unicorn Raffle. Your $20 ticket gives you not one, but two chances to win from our lineup of 20 Woodford Reserve treasures, including the grand prize, the rarest unicorn yet, the Woodford Reserve Kentucky Derby 150 Baccarat Edition. Only 150 bottles were made and is just like the one the Derby winning owner receives. Quit horsing around and get your $20 tickets now at Give270.org. Charitable Gaming License ORG 0002703. From their bar to yours, Chad and Sarah of the popular YouTube channel It's Bourbon Night bring you their favorite at-home old-fashioned mix with the new Elemental Elixir's Golden Hour Syrup. It's a custom-made syrup with notes of bold black tea, warm spices, and orange zest. All you need is your favorite whiskey and ice. No bitters needed. One bottle makes 16 drinks, so that's only $1 cocktail before you add your own whiskey. They can also be enjoyed in other cocktails or spirits, mocktails, coffee, tea, and anything you can think of. It's crafted locally in Lexington, Kentucky, and you can get your bottle now at whiskeyambitions.com.
Do you ever pour yourself a bourbon, swirl it around, and then start struggling to come up with tasting notes? And perhaps you're also looking for a good Father's Day gift idea. Well, you can now solve both with a kit from Nose Your Bourbon. And unlike other nosing kits on the market, Nose Your Bourbon kits feature real ingredients for the most authentic aromas. You can smell real Tahitian vanilla bean instead of some synthetic aroma that's just made from chemicals. So head on over to NoseYourBourbon.com and enter code BP10 for 10% off your order. Ed Bly and Rising Tide Spirits are back again with a new release of Old Stubborn Bourbon. And this release of Old Stubborn is a premium hand marriage of 10, 11, and 12-year cask drink, barely filtered pot still bourbon. It comes in at a staggering 123.8 proof. And the flavoring grain for this one, which the last one was weeded, but this time it's now rye. Rich, sweet, and bold with a long finish that's sure to be another eye-opener. You can order online at Sealbox or TheBourbonConcierge.com, and you can even purchase in person at Revival Vintage Spirits, and even now with very few select stores in Kentucky. You can get it now while you can, but be sure to do it because it's not going to last long. Welcome, everybody, to the 54th recording of the Bourbon Community Roundtable. Kenny, Ryan, and Fred here, as always. But this is one of the most awesome podcasts we get to do every three weeks because we get to bring in a bunch of our friends from around the bourbon sphere here and talk a good potpourri of good bourbon topics and just what's happening in bourbon folklore and culture. And we could just kind of give our educated opinions but as brian our our lawyer here always likes to say is that none of this is actual financial advice so <laughs> take that for what it is but fred ryan how y'all doing uh, ryan i just saw you a few hours ago we were doing a bullet barrel pick earlier today yes it was fantastic i was really impressed man it was hard to pick one because they were all so good and that yeah. that facility is great i really enjoyed it well we can we can we'll, we can talk about that when we get to sourced bourbons, whether it impacts our <laughs> our thought process a little bit later. I think that's uh, it's going to be a good one to kind of talk about. But ten different recipes, right? Yeah, it, God, it <laughs> seems so strikingly similar to something else I've heard of before. <laughs> yep. <laughs> How weird. But Fred, you doing all right? You know what? This has been a great day. You know, we just wrapped up a great dinner with the family. My wife just posted on Instagram, which is like this beautiful photo with my boys and. You know, we're still fresh off a of vacation, I feel like. And man, I just, it's just one of those moments where you're like, I love my family. And it's, you know, you all are part of my family too. But my little boys, they're just great. I'm glad we could take you away from time with your boys to talk about bourbon and bullshit for 45 minutes. Well, seriously, <laughs> you gotta, you gotta have, you gotta have a mixture, right? If it's all one gotta thing, find a balance. you gotta, you get burned out. But look, I've been looking forward to this round table. As you all remember, I couldn't make the last one. I was, the vaccine put me on my ass, so I, I hate it when I when I miss the round table. So I'm very excited about getting up in here tonight. Well, all right. Well, there's one person with a vaccine. Blake, you got a vaccine in Florida yet? I do not. No, no. I figured. Um, well, I, I'm not even sure what part of the you know allocation we're at for the vaccine, but young and healthy. Um, you know, I'll, I'll stick back for a little while. Um, so no vaccine just yet. And COVID doesn't exist, exist in Florida. If you look at the news, <laughs> true. problem. I will say, you know, the reason why I have it is because the VA 
is taking care of its veterans and it's and they're making sure that no vaccines go to waste. So, I mean, the the VA has, I think they have given more than like 4 million shots mm-hmm. and, you know, they have done an amazing job making sure it gets out into the system. Yeah, yeah. for sure. All right. Well, uh, we'll move on to, uh, well, actually, Blake, I mean, at this point, oh, am I introducing um, myself? Yeah. yeah Bourbon or okay. box. We all know it. <laughs> I, I don't think we need to waste time with introductions was, anymore at this yeah, point. I was gonna, no, I was gonna we only have 45 minutes, up, Kenny. But... Don't waste time. All right. We'll, we'll waste the time. Brian, we want to know have, who's vaccinated. Yeah. Brian, do you have your vaccine yet? <laughs> no, but, but lawyers opened up on, opened up today. I thought, I thought for sure lawyers were going to be dead last. I mean, Somebody <laughs> just wants to kill them off or something. Yeah, vaccinate the dead people before you vaccinate lawyers. <laughs> so, so I was really surprised to see that we were one C or whatever, whatever combination of the numbers and letters were on. But uh, so it's it's coming, I suppose. But uh, um, it, but we do have it here, so everyone should go to Florida where they don't have it. <laughs> <laughs> and you all know Brian from sipping corn and yep. Jordan from Brickies. And Jordan from Breaking Bourbon, are you vaccinated yet? No vaccine here. PA is like ranking, I don't know, low 40s in the nation. West Virginia is kicking our, kicking our ass. So no vaccine for a while over here, let me tell you. But uh, yeah, hopefully one day soon. All right. So we're batting uh, whatever one for six is around here. So that's not good odds, but we'll, we'll, well catch you, we'll catch you next on month. Par, that's on par with the rest of the nation. I think it's only like 14%. So <laughs> that's about right. Yeah. But we're saving Fred's. That's really all that counts. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so I'm the. I'll be the one that turns into a zombie. You know, because of <laughs> the vaccine. Although you know, my wife is Moderna. I'm Pfizer. So we were like wondering who's going to grow the horns first. Uh, Battling over. Like, uh, yeah. Yeah. It's going to be like Twilight. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So let's kind of get into it. So kind of like the first thing we're going to talk about is. You know, when we start looking at kind of the rise of bourbon and rise of bourbon culture, it was hard to not see that Facebook was one of the biggest contributors to that. Um, and Blake is by far one of the the bigger contributors because I think at this point he might have the longest running, highly most highly populated Facebook group out there over at Bourboner. Uh, however, that has changed over the past, we'll say, six months to a year. We've started to see a whole lot of groups start disappearing out of nowhere. It seems like as of lately, there is no safe place for any BSM style, bourbon secondary market style groups. They seem to just get wiped out really quickly whenever there is... Anybody that complains about something in a group, even if it doesn't have sales, it gets wiped out and people are just scrambling to get it back. So we'll kind of talk about, you know, the evolution and sort of history of this and kind of thinking like, well, are Facebook groups starting to die off only in popularity? And at this point, as one group collapses and it's really big and you have like 10 newer ones grew off or grow off from it what does that kind of create in the marketplace as well? So Blake, I want to first spin it over to you um, as somebody that has, I don't know, what's what's it up to, like 35,000 people in it now? Yeah, I think so. Somewhere around there. Okay. Just a good yeah. guess. Just around. I may have looked before since I knew we were talking about it, but no, no, I think it is around 35,000. So um, when you're when you're looking at a group of that size, what do you do to make sure that you are like, in line with all the Facebook, um, you know, terms of service and everything like that, like that to make sure that this group just doesn't get 
demolished overnight. Yeah, and I think the biggest thing that we did, and I've talked about it on here before, um, is just the no unopened bottle pictures. Um, and that kind of eliminates any kind of fishing appearance of selling. That that seems to be what they're really targeting is the the buying and selling and trading of of bourbon on on Facebook groups. And since you know we eliminated that, um, we don't have as many problems with that. Now we have plenty of other problems in the bourbon or Facebook group for any of those <laughs> who are in there and like a part of it. But all the uh, all in all, like as far as getting shut down by Facebook, that's not, not really a concern just because you can't post a picture if it's of something that's not opened and that gets taken down pretty quick because people will report it. We'll see it or something like that. So um, as long as we stay on top of monitoring that, I don't think it's a big deal, but yeah, I mean, it, it's hard to see. You see like a lot of these local groups who I think they were just kind of doing local trading and even that Facebook appears to be cracking down on now. So, you know, I kind of hate it. Even if I wasn't buying and selling, it was still cool to see a bunch of bottles popping up in my newsfeed that I'll never see any other way. So it's kind of disappointing. And I just have to say, because I'm a token moderator and name for, for the Bourbon yeah. Facebook group, right? So when we do those shared video chats, to go to Jordan. But, the amount of, <laughs> but, yeah, but the amount of work that Blake and his team does to keep that mm-hmm. up to snuff is unreal. <laughs> I mean, that might as well be like a full-time second job because I see all the notifications he gets and it's just constant. And those guys work their butt off to keep it alive. So it's true, though. That's a lot of work. And I don't think you guys get enough credit for that. Gets all those, gets all those Facebook moderating dollars that come, come rolling in from it, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. Right. Rolling Unless in. somebody gets a, a something deleted and they're like, well, I see other people. I'm like, dude, don't go and tag me in every unopened bottle. They're going to get deleted. I just haven't checked it in 30 minutes. I'm sorry. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I like this this quote. His his kids manage it. He's got so many. He's got his kids. No all the right on top of it. Yeah, they got to learn the computer skills somehow. So might as well. Uh... They come out of womb with an iPad and a Facebook account to go and start <laughs> start moderating the Facebook group. But I, I do also want to kind of pose it to you guys. You know, we we looked at the culture of of, of bourbon through the Facebook lens, and it's been a positive for the most part. I know for myself, like if I was to go and buy a dusty bourbon, that is the one place that I can go and feel relatively safe about what I'm getting because we either knew people, we knew trade values, we all knew that sort of stuff. Now it seems like that's disappearing. And I feel bad for even the local groups because you should be able to trade locally. I I mean, I understand with, you know, if you only have a thousand people, golly, like if you're all throwing up red flags with a thousand people, then I don't know what to how to curb that type of behavior. You know what it was? It wasn't just trade value either. It was trust, right? You knew who to trust because mm-hmm. you saw the same people. It was the same group. It was well-established. People would say, oh, perfect to trade with. But as groups come and go really quickly now, you're just not sure who to trust and who not to trust, right? Which is really difficult, especially for those just getting into it or even those who have been doing it for a long time and you just want to ex- you know, expand who you're dealing with. It's hard to do if you don't have that trust there. Um, and, and that's a shame. It really is. And and Brian, I'll kind of put it over to you. Like when you look at some of the Facebook groups in regards of like culture and everything like that, I mean, don't get me wrong. There was some, some bad things that came out of it too. I mean, there, it, it creates the FOMO. It creates people that are flipping stuff. I mean, crotch shots. the crotch shots. And I guess that's one thing that kind of got banned as well. Yeah. But I mean, when you, when you think about it, like what are some more like the negative things that, that you have seen that come out of something like that? 
Well, driving up the price, I think, is is one thing. And that, that all relates, I think, to FOMO and and just hyping it up so much. I mean, it, and, and part of that's just me remembering what a bottle used to cost and, and seeing what it is now or um, but but driving up the price hasn't been good for anyone. I mean, there, there's education in there, like you say, that's good. There's exposure to to learn about what to look for in a bottle. I mean, I I never would have known what to look for uh, in in a bottle was you know, when the UPC came up. Um, you know, that's it's late '70s and early '80s, or what to look for on a on the size of the foil on the top. You never never would have known any of those things if it weren't for Facebook. And you sure don't want to go back to Craigslist and you know meet some shady guy at the Walmart parking lot. Um, at least on Facebook, you had a profile picture, and you're like, yeah. okay, like I know I can see what this person's going to look like. That's that's right. They're not dressed up people, in a clown costume. Yeah, you had people who would vouch, and you've got some mm-hmm. safety measures, and you've got affirmative action that you know one group took when there was a bad seed. So you know there's some self regulation. And by by pushing it out of Facebook, you're not going to have any sort of regulation. It's just going to be the Wild West. Yeah, I think, you know, when we look at Facebook, you know, it's just it's kind of like negative everywhere. Like you don't really see people saying like, oh, hey, I'm going to Facebook and having a good time tonight. You know, those days are gone. You know, like it's just and everything, you know, Facebook was connected to so many like, you know, fraudulent ads and so many. uh, you know, stolen data and like, who knows what they're using our, our information with for. So, I mean, I, I think that it, if, if this, if we were just talking about bourbon, I think we would probably be, we'd probably find a way around it and, and, and have a little bit of a, you know, a workaround if you will, but because there's so much negative attention about Facebook all the time, we're just all tired of it. And I think we are in a place in the world where if we hear about something for too much, it's getting re- it's going to get really annoying. And then someone's going to create an app where you sit on a phone and you have a conference call for three hours called Clubhouse. You know, so <laughs> it, like all of these things are happening and you got, and it's just like people are tired of Facebook. And it's just I think that this is just a, a part of the evolution of we're all done, you know, for the most <laughs> it's part. exhausting. I, yeah. I loved yeah. uh, Facebook when it was just, when you had, you could only, they had a group app where you could just have the groups app and you didn't have to have like the regular feed too. But now it's yeah. like all merged together. And so you could keep, you know, all the fuckery separate from, you know, the groups mm-hmm. that you uh, want to be involved with. But I mean, a lot of great things have come out Facebook. I mean, hell there's brands I wouldn't even probably ever tried, you know, or knew about, you know, Kenny's drinking on one of them right now, old scout. You know, I would have just written them off as, oh, just another MGP. But then you see people on Facebook, you know, trying them, talking about them. And you're like, oh, well, maybe I do need to give this, you know, these guys a shot. And then there's, you know, just making connections, you know, with people you never would have before. But a lot of that is gone, you know, as Kenny talked about earlier, I, I, that was my go-to spot for Dusty's, you know, mm-hmm. buying, selling, trading. I, I haven't bought any in a long time just because you just don't know and you can't trust. And so it's just kind of a waste. And yeah, it's, it's sad. Cause that was like so much fun. You know, I'd get in, get on Facebook, you know, for an hour at night and just kind of mindlessly scroll. It was like entertainment. It was like watching a TV show and, you know, mm-hmm. and getting our bourbon groups, see what came out today. Who's talking about what, who's hating on what. So I kind of missed that part of it. And some of that's still out there. And, uh, bourboners probably one of the 
best groups out there really still so uh shout out to blake and your your kids moderating i kind of thought uh, you were being sarcastic <laughs> at first but <laughs> that's where all the bourbon memes end up going that's yeah, for sure exactly that's no th- there are pros and cons i mean it, it is hard to just like say oh facebook for bourbon's terrible and it's ruined the community well it actually built the majority yeah, of and the community and I, as well so and i think sazerac um, has benefited more than anyone off mm-hmm. of facebook and mm-hmm. um for sure and that's why you know i was so surprised they allegedly or did or whatever try to push so no. much emphasis on the secondary market you no know, they didn't that wouldn't now. allegedly they just they straight said it <laughs> well Remember, yeah like yeah. Uh, at bourbon and beyond they're like yeah we worked with uh we worked with the uh, facebook well it was the van mm-hmm. winkles and then sagmore's or not sagmore sorry i'm looking at a bottle of sagmore sazerac uh they never really admitted to it or did they it, it, well no they I think they're one and the same, and but you know, I mean, I think of I think of sites like Louisville Bourbon Hounds or the Arkansas Bourbon Club that just got yanked, and you know, those were really good. Yeah, the Bourbon inf- Hounds was great. Yeah, informational, agreed. conversational, you know, great just places, and it's and it's and it's like, why? What did someone do? You know, and and, and I think and I think that's probably the big frustration for a lot of people is you never get the why, you know, you just kind of like, like a hanging participle. You never told anything. And then, I mean, Zuck doesn't care. Facebook doesn't care. You know, just like cutting to like a black screen at the end of a movie. And you're like, wait a minute, there's so many loose ends that never got tied up here. Nobody liked the Sopranos when it did that. So don't do it here either. I think the problem with the local groups is they kind of create this like barrel club buying group. And so like, what happens is you, you know, there's only a certain amount of bottles per barrel and your group is way bigger than that. And then people just get, you know, pissed off about it. Then it just escalates into personal attacks and all this, you know, shenanigans and whatnot. So you think it's, you think it's really that simple. It's just like people are upset. They didn't get a bottle. Well, I don't think, I mean, there's probably legit reasons why they're upset. They didn't get one. You know, there, there starts to be like, politics involved and you know and this person's uh, an admin and you know leaking out information or taking away information accordingly to to get bottles and all this you know fuckery going on but i've said and that I word think, a lot today but yeah and i think that's a good one it, it, we actually did hear a story today and I'll, I'll you know we'll keep names aside and groups aside and stuff like that but yeah i mean it actually gets to the point of can you trust the moderators of these smaller groups because what's happening is exactly what ryan said what these groups are trying to do they're trying to go in and they're like okay we'll get you know a thousand people or 500 whatever it is and we'll go and select a barrel from somewhere or we will align ourselves with a particular liquor store and run our barrels through them or or make people go there and like kind of like hype up the bottles they have or whatever it is. But then underneath of this, what's happening is you've got a few different things happening. One, the admins are getting special privileges to the limited release bottles and they get the chance to be able to buy those first because they're the ones pushing the business. I mean, don't be wrong. It's basically like you know you're getting paid a commission for you know sending people there like it's that's just part of it however if you are not forthcoming with that information and people are wondering like how did you get an eh taylor 18 year marriage like from this shop at whatever price like oh i wonder how that happened because i talked y'all to buy a bunch of knob creek (laughs) (laughs) but that's so that's one part of it you know the other part of this is that you know admins have a special privilege is if Anybody kind of knows if you ever run a Facebook group, you can screen every single post that's on there. And what does it mean if you screen a post? 
That means you get to determine what's there and you're going to have insider information for anything else. So if somebody says, hey, go here, they just put these bottles on the shelves. You don't have to let that post actually go on there. You can get there before you actually approve the post. Or, and this is uh, not to name any more names, but there was another secondary group that came up with a lot of big wigs that were the buyers in there. And they created their own Facebook group when BSM sh got shut down. And when people would say, okay, I'm going to put this, uh, you know, Van Winkle up, whatever, 15 year for, I don't know what they're going for now. We'll just say 1500 or some something ridiculous. They would go ahead, approve it and buy it now before anybody else had the chance to be able to do it. So they had, again, earlier access, earlier information, and they could basically snipe it, if you will. So you've got a lot of, as Ryan said, kind of fuckery that happens between admins because they're not forthcoming or not open with the information. Yeah, and, and on the flip side of that, it's like an admin, like you said, is unpaid. And so if people don't get bottles, then they're harassing the admins and they're like, well, wait a minute, <laughs> you know, it's not my fault. It's, I'm like, it's a, and then they're like, I'm just tired of dealing with this shit. So they shut down the group, you know. And, and Brian, yeah. like there is, uh, I remember uh, there was a case in sports memorabilia a few years ago where somebody got like uh, arrested for insider trading and they were like, their argument was like, this isn't a stock. And the government was like, uh, it's still insider trading because a lot of people wanted that right there and you knew about it and they didn't and it wasn't a fair opportunity for them. And they and they, the guy got arrested. I don't remember the whole detail, but is it possible like there could ever be any kind of insider tra trading thing on something that like, let's say it's not necessarily Facebook, but like at the retail level or something that could go back to you know, the admins that they're, you know, working with the, uh, with the retailer for a special barrel pick or anything. Is there any kind of play like that? It shouldn't be any sort of insider trading type law because those only apply to securities, but there can be, I mean, if, if they're doing something funny with a store, there can, I, I can see something coming up there, but n not exactly insider trading, but you're right. It's the exact kind of same theory. You've got information that nobody else has and, and you're using it or you're telling people to buy, you know, the, the, the bad stuff. So the store gets a better allocation than you get it. I mean, there's a lot of just plain old dishonesty and that's what makes people pissed off about all of these groups is the dishonesty that goes around. I think that's what it boils down to. You know, honestly, I think I was the one that had a, a, uh, a prediction that Facebook groups are going to come back bigger and better than ever. And they're going to be, you know, there's gonna be one that's going to come back and it's going to rule. And this whole BSM getting shut down was just a one-time fluke, but I am, I am going to backpedal on that one so hard right now because <laughs> I do not see that one happening anymore. I think that it, it seems, and this is also uh, the other thing. And I think there was a, a great comment that came up on one of the uh, the chats over here is that once you you burn a big group and smaller groups start forming, you start getting more people that end up getting scammed. And we all know, because we have a pretty decent following on Instagram, if we post a bottle and there's going to be somebody that, even it, it could be a private selection of a bottle that we have done, and somebody posts a comment that says, where can I get one of those? There's going to be a comment within a few hours underneath of it that says, oh, I got a few of them. Contact my buddy, you know, John, whatever, 868686. He's got a few left. I mean, there are scammers everywhere on Instagram. Like it yep. is it is blown out of proportion. Like I, I it, 
I have to delete and ban people all the time from the account. Yep. And so we're starting to see this now happen on the Facebook side where people are yep. going in and it's, you know, mm-hmm. bottle shop dot us dot whatever. Like, come on, like you got to be a little bit smarter to realize that some of this is too good to be true. Right on. All right. Well, at least uh, I'm not the only one getting getting hit with the scammers out there every but single it, day. It's, it's yeah. every yeah. single day. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what I guess some people are. Actually, it must work. Fall for it. I just it think of all to. the I mean, phone calls that you get about your warranty expiring. People oh, answer gosh. that shit and hit the button get, and talk to somebody. Get, I mean, which is crazy. Days. I've had to renew my warranty on my car six times this year already. <laughs> 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 it keeps going out. It keeps that, going. Uh, I, I felt trapped. The electric company is shutting off my bills or, or shutting off my power. And I'm like, what? Did we pay the bill? <laughs> and I look and I'm like, wait a minute, I did pay the bill. And you're like, realize it's a scam. They sound those those automated tele messengers. They sound so 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 convincing, though, right? Get me every time. <laughs> <laughs> Except when they say this is the last time we're going to call you. I don't believe that anymore. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or when they say press nine to put on the do not call list, and then you get a call twenty seconds later. Yeah, you're like, right. never click any link. Yeah, for sure. All right, so let's kind of move into our next order of business here. And this actually looks at the sourced whiskey market. Shopify's already taken the cash register online, helping millions sell billions around the world. But did you know that Shopify can do the same thing at your retail store? Give your point of sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Shopify's point of sale is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. And with Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers inline and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. And get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone. Transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system or use Shopify's point-of-sale Go Mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com bourbon, all lowercase, and go to shopify.com bourbon to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com bourbon. If you're anything like me, then you can't get enough about bourbon. And that's why I'm a subscriber to Bourbon Plus magazine. Bourbon Plus is a quarterly publication that tells the stories from the heart of bourbon, the farmers who grow the grain, the distillers who labor over the process, and the people like you and me who raise their glasses to celebrate it all. Subscribe to Bourbon Plus magazine today at bourbonplus.com, that's P-L-U-S.com, and use code PURSUIT at checkout for $5 off your subscription. All right, so let's kind of move into our next order of business here. And this actually looks at the sourced whiskey market. So we're going to start looking at whether a sourced whiskey, whether you know the source, does it impact your buying decision or not? Um, and, you know, what will you pay for it and whether you, if you do or don't know what it is. So I think uh, this is a really good way for Ryan and I kind of start this out because we were at Bullet this week uh, selecting barrels from there. And let me be honest with you. If they are not four roses, 
I'll be damned. I will be damned if they are not, because I've heard so much stuff saying that, oh, it can't be. It's from here. It's from there and blah, 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 blah. But when you go through and they're like, yeah, we got two recipes, one 36% rye, one's 21% rye. We've got five different yeast strains. We, I mean, the dots are all connecting here. Like it, there's really no mystery uh, when it comes to me. But to be said there, when we were looking at doing these for the first time last year, that was kind of like my thing was I know that in our community, people can't get enough of four roses and knowing that this was essentially four roses. I was like, sign me up. Like how many more can we get? Because our allocation at four roses is getting lower and lower and lower every single year. So what, what can we do to get something that is going to be uh, close on par, whatever it is to be able to help and feed our community. So I will say in that aspect, knowing the source kind of uh, played into it, even though people are going to say, Hey, I don't think it's four roses, but I'll, I'll leave that to myself. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, the whiskey's good. I mean, hell I was blown away today. I, there were a couple, I was like, gosh, these are 11 year OESKs. You know, the, I was so happy with them. Um, I mean, it's easy for me to say for us having a, owning a sourced whiskey company that uh, uh, it shouldn't matter. But you know, when I, when I was first in the bourbon game, it did matter. I was kind of like, uh, you know, it's just another MGP or, you know, Oh, it's essentially Barton or it's essentially this, but then, but then you kind of try stuff like Kentucky Owl or, you know, old scout. And you're like, you start trusting the people that's behind it. And you're like, well, you know, it's, it's actually different, you know, and it's, pretty damn good you know and it's unique and you know that's that's kind of where i'm at on on all this and i don't know the bullets pretty fantastic i was happy today i think i think for me it's you almost have to dissect on multiple levels right so when you have source stuff i mean the big ones that come to mind right mgp dickel and it kind of goes cyclical too so for a while everything was mgp and then everything was dickel and now you're seeing the return of higher age mgp right so like it's going back and forth so, you know, sometimes you get burned down on MGP, sometimes you get a little burned down on Dickel, so you go back and forth. And then the second thing is, not only that, but you're starting to see younger source whiskey more and more frequently, but you're also seeing a lot of like five or six year source whiskey that was originally bought, say from MGP, but then moved someplace else, moved down to Texas, moved down to Colorado, or up to Colorado, and then aged there, right? So now it's not only source, but there also has some climate aging that's going on based on the locale. So that all of a sudden becomes interesting. So it, it's not just saying, is it sourced? You know, do I not want sourced whiskey? But what's the story behind it, right? Not just where it's from, but what took place after it was made. And I think that's the main thing. Um, just go into it with an open mind and, you know, just don't block it out because it's sourced. And also just don't say, oh, it's sourced, it's going to be good. It's more so what's the story behind it. Well, I want to I kind of move this over to Blake just a little bit because Blake owning a, a retail outlet and I think this this gives you a, a little bit of an interesting angle here because you are, you know, you're, you're selling a lot of bottles that most of it, there's a, there's a good percentage that's sourced from the same stuff, right? There's a lot of good MGP source stuff out there. So, you know, for yourself, does the source really matter and, and how does that make a differentiation to, to your retail customers? Yeah. So, so for me, it doesn't. Um, but that's a tougher sell because, you know, initially I, I think Ryan said it, like I did really want to know where the source was and, you know, is it distilled in Indiana or, but um, I think at the end of the day, some of the things that I've loved the most, I still don't know the source, you know, Kentucky Owl batch two um, or I think it was, no, it was batch six where I 
thought it was just fantastic. I, I still don't know where those barrels came from and or the age. And um, so I, I think it's easy to say like, oh yeah, you shouldn't be worried about it. You should just be worried if it's good or not. But the problem with that is, is then, you know, some garbage can leak in there as well. If you just say, oh, just, just trust it that it's going to be good. Um, well then who knows what's in there. So it's kind of a, a catch 22 where um, I think once you try a product enough, you start to trust their palate and kind of what they're doing with the blending and everything. Um, and that feeds into the whole, you, you know, does it really matter as much where it comes from? Yes and no. Um, so, you know, that's, that's a kind of a convoluted answer of saying for me now, personally, I look more to who's picking the barrels or blending the barrels. And then I do about the source because I've had stuff from every distillery in the country that I've hated. And I've had stuff barrels from a lot of those same distilleries that I've loved. Um, and that's just, kind of the nature of bourbon and whiskey. So it's, it's hard to say like, oh, well, you, you know, just because it came from MGP doesn't give me more confidence necessarily because two barrels from the same distillery, even sometimes the same lot can be vastly different. So, so I, I'm getting, I'm getting at the point where this is all kind of becoming very comical to me, you know, like seeing people like try to basically I know they have the exact same whiskey as five other brands and you know, they, they bit, they all bought a tote from a hell. We should start calling source whiskey, tote whiskey at this point. <laughs> you know, I mean, they're, they bought a tote from the same broker. It's the same stuff. It's, you know, and they all put a different story on it. I mean, it's getting like it, it's not getting out of hand because no one's really, no one's really trying to deceive customers, but I'm looking at some of these price tags. I'm like, how can you, how can you justify $300 for this? I, I mean, it's absurd. And I, and I know people in the chat will always say, we'll just get wild Turkey one one They're right. I mean, <laughs> there's no reason why I should be paying, and I do anyway, but I should be paying two hundred bucks for, you know, a source product, and it, it's it's it is what it is. But um, and it, and that's I always go back to bourbon's not a utility anymore, and I didn't want to break your thought, but you know it. Yeah, you're right. We all went different stuff, you know. We we all have bottles behind us, and mm -hmm. <laughs> well, price is kind of where I was coming from on on this question too. I remember it was probably 2015 or 2016. MGP just sold some eight-year ride to Old Scout and to Willet. And I remember being at Liquor Barn and they were right next to each other. One was 40 bucks and one was 80 bucks. And I got them both. And it's ended up being, it's, you know, it's, it's about the time, Fred, whenever you wrote the article about Indiana and everybody's, you know, still kind of in the early days of figuring this out. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's the same damn thing. And one's 40 bucks and one's $80. And they weren't discernibly different from each other. So the way I approach this question is, is thinking to myself, what is a bottle of eight year old MGP worth, you know, then and now, and why am I going to pay for a marketing story and some fancy label or a horse or something else to get it when I, when I think MGP is worth X and they're charging Y, or when you hear that, that, uh, 
Bean has a bunch of 15-year-old totes that they sold all over the market. You know all of those are going to be maybe about the same. Maybe there's some that's better than others. And one of those in particular, I, I think, is, it has just gone off the charts. People think it's great. But it's all essentially the same whiskey. So why pay $300 for one and, and $80 for the other? So that, that's kind of how I approach that question. It's it's fascinating. You know? But I, I will say, like, this is going to take this as a moment to brag on uh, Kenny and Ryan and, like, what they did with uh, United. You know, I mean, that is what I would love to see the entire source market do actually use your talents to create something different. So they took source whiskey from New York, uh, Tennessee and Kentucky and made a blend. You know, that to me is a hell of a lot more cool than getting one friggin' tote of 15 year old whiskey and hey, it may be great, but once that tote's gone, it's gone, mm -hmm. and you ain't getting another tote like that. So maybe, maybe you keep that fifteen-year-old tote and blend it in with some four and six and you know other stuff, and do something cool, you know, that's different. So I just, man, I'm just, I've just been Brian. We've been doing this for so long, and it's just like this stuff keeps coming up, and it's just. It's just the same story over and over. And then people come up to you and be like, is this any good? I'm like, it's the same fucking shit as that over there. Yeah. You know, and it's like, it gets. Oh, What's maybe the I, story behind this one? Yeah. I'm like, <laughs> What's the mash bill? Who fucking That's what cares? I love about I mean, <laughs> our Facebook groups. What's the did, story about did this? Did ghosts one? make this one? No, no, they didn't make that one. <laughs> sure. Well, Fred, I do appreciate the the kind words there, and 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 I think that's when we well, at least when we try, we're not going to take up too much, but but when we try, we definitely didn't want to be, you know, just another you know pulling the same stuff off the shelf of everybody else's, and and but we try to do something different, and and I hope that a lot of people do see that as as a good indication of of a way to go because. I hope that we made something unique, and and I think that's one of the things that we do want to find. We do want to find something unique. Um, we want to find something good at the same exact time, but. You know, the other thing is that, and, and Freddie, you alluded to, sometimes it's just good as is. And if that 15-year tote, I mean, it's it's good whiskey in the day. You know, I, I think that, you know, hats off to, you know, Chris Hart and everything like that. You know, the Prideful Goat being $100, I think it was probably the most aggressively priced bottle that there was for those totes that ever came out. Um, you've got some that are 100 You've got some that are up to 300 350 So, and there's not going to be a whole lot of difference between them. So make sure you just find it the lower price and knowing the sources is one thing. But, you know, the other side of the source thing is that there are some that end up hitting the market that are really good. Like as Jordan alluded to, a minute, uh, Jordan just alluded to a minute ago, we're starting to see higher age MGPs starting to come out. So we're starting to see eight year 95 fives start hitting the market at cash strength. And those are the ones that, and at, you know, hats off to Blake. He, he found a, a, a good source that, ended up i think uh sold off on seal box like within an hour and i think you had the very you had a key line in there that said these are the, this is the same stuff that the smooth ambler rise of the eight years that used to be there are now selling for 300 or 350 dollars a bottle mm -hmm. and people probably just oh, ate that oh. up and what? it is a true line i didn't make that up <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's good marketing <laughs> one, one, one thing, Kenny, I want to bring back a little bit is, is, 
is the other thing about this whole source game. When we know that there's a lot of this product that's going out there, if it's from Kentucky, it's like, well, I heard it was from here. Well, I heard it was from there. I'm like, the broker told me exactly where it was from. Well, my distributor told me this. Your distributor does not know, you know, <laughs> that. And there's so much misinformation with some of these things. It is, it is, it is, it, it is so bad right now uh, when it, when it comes to some of these products. And yes, the 15 year old bourbon is going to be good. Most likely it's most likely going to be very good. And it just, it, it's just like stabbing my eyes, like hearing this over and over for, you know, <laughs> and why in the hell can't beam put that 15 year old whiskey into an old crow premium brand? I uh, think sorry to bring it up again. I'm there. Yeah. But. I mean, <laughs> and by the way, you just really yeah, want to hear about that. uh, that's a good discussion to have. I mean, yeah. it, it's a great discussion to have, but I, you know, if you, if, if, if you look at what, um, if you look at how Beam operates, they're very, they're very brand centric, and and like they don't they don't steer too far outside of their flavor profiles. So like you know if they didn't feel like any of that stuff fit in their flavor profile, ow, yeah, it's gone. You know, yeah. So I mean they they're at least true to that of of how they operate. True for sure. True fact. All right, let's move on. Last topic. So when it comes to craft bourbon. At what point do we stop calling it craft? Is it you know once they've been business for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years? Is it a per gallon or how many barrels or bottles they're putting out for a year? But at what point do we stop acknowledging it as craft and start putting them as an established distillery? I'm just going to put that one to the floor. Whoever wants to take it can run with it. So I'll, I'll kick it off, right? That is a good question. Whoever came up with it. Kudos to them. <laughs> I was like, is that why you're answering it? <laughs> but you know, so we, so we, and I'm not tying this in because we did this article, but a while back, Nick, Nick did this article on what is craft bourbon and him and Fred were tweeting back and forth and the American Craft Spirits Association, like they define it. They have their own set of rules on, on what they think is craft bourbon. And that's fine and dandy. But the reality is craft in the bourbon world has somehow been associated and is synonymous with, with just youth, right? Oh, it's a young upstart distillery. It's youthful, it's craft. But I think what we're starting to see is, you know, we're, we're deep enough into the quote unquote craft world that, you know, distilleries are going to start being around 15, 20 years before you know it, right? Look at Hudson out in New York. They were established 2006, around there. So they're about 15 years old yeah. and others aren't earlier, that far. Earlier behind. than that, yeah. Earlier, right? Yeah. 2004. So there you go. So, you know, as in the bourbon world, unlike craft beer, it's not so much people don't think about how many gallons is this distillery producing. It's more how old are they? I think that it just begets the question, you know, how old does a distillery need to be before somebody's like, OK, they've been around enough. They've proven themselves. They're here to stay. They're established. They're not craft anymore in my book. And I don't know if I have an answer for that, but I think it's something we think about all the time just because not only all the new distilleries still popping up, but all the ones that have been around for 10 plus years now. Right. And I'd love to hear other people's thoughts. Do you I, all consider Willet a craft? No. No, they're uh, not even no. they're not even considered craft by the KDA. They're like a heritage member. So well, yeah, well, even and, by and law, they're not. Yeah, that's kind of where I think we need to go in and to decipher between the two. It's it's like you get heritage, you got non-heritage. And for that, I would probably still stick Willet in the heritage just because the brands have been around for so long. But mm -hmm. somebody like Wilderness Trail that's pumping out uh, you, you know, a ton of volume, but they're, they're new. They're 2012, 2013 ish. 
um, and really started cranking over the last four to five years, uh, I put them in that non-heritage. And I don't think it's really fair to call a lot of these guys like New Rift, Chattanooga, Finger Lakes, to call them craft. And I think it could be rebranded to just be like, hey, these are non-heritage distillers. You know, they're not the major the major guys that are owned by large corporations. Um, but, you know, they may distill over 100,000 proof gallons a year or whatever it may be. Um, I think of it more of like a new world versus old world wine style. Mm-hmm. Y- you know, you've got the the old, I don't want to call it old regard or old guard of, you know, but they're, they're not as focused on the grain. They're more focused on the barrel. They're focused on, you know, column distillation. They're focused on um, all of those things, higher aging, whereas some of the new guys are more grain focused. They're, you know, they're really working on is the barrel toasted, is the entry proof lower, is all these other things that kind of make non-heritage or craft bourbon um, exciting to me, at least. And, you know, that that's where I'd like to see it go. I think it would help from a branding aspect just because people have been burned by craft, um, but also it gives a better definition of what we're seeing today and not just like, Oh, these guys are small. That's cool. Uh, so the, the government has accepted like the ACSA definition and it's based basically based on proof gallons, you know, as Jordan was talking about from that tweet conversation. So there, there is actual like, you know, federal, uh, guidelines on what they kind of consider. But I think, I think if we take a look at the model of like really what, you know, consumers and like how we define things, you know, Lagunitas is considered craft beer by some people. Like you go to a festival, Lagunitas and, uh, you know, St. Pauli's Girl and, and Boston Lagers is in like the craft beer section. I'm like, ain't no way in hell those mass produced items are, are craft beer. And I think it kind of it clicked in my head one year when I was when I was uh, drinking something uh, at a festival. As often many of my thoughts companies drinking at festivals <laughs> and uh, this uh, it has to do with flavor profile so craft essentially is a mindset of creating new flavors what the craft whiskey scene has done in the united states for the last 15 years is completely turn the traditional flavor profile upside down of american whiskey and for the most part, it was not accepted. Now there's some acceptance. Now there's like all of these like new styles that people are expecting. Like Kenny, we go back and forth all the time about Spirits of French Lake. I crave, I now crave that four grain flavor profile. And it's like, to me, that's what craft is in American whiskey. And that is when the flavor boundaries are being pushed outside of the norm. Well, I mean, if we, I, I've heard um, Heaven Hill say it enough times that they're the largest craft distillery in the world. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, I hate to tell them, no, you're not. I mean, you are a powerhouse. I mean, what you're doing might you might be a master of your craft. However, it is not craft. <laughs> you're not craft. Um, yeah, and that's what I think. You know, the word handcrafted and all this stuff is. It's just marketing jargon, and that's why we Man, need a more. So write a book. <laughs> <laughs> Get any ideas for one? Yeah. <laughs> I'll also throw another one out there: um, the age what? of the whiskey. Uh, I mean, I would think that if your whiskey you're putting out 
is it seven year? I think at the seven year mark, I don't think it's considered really craft too much anymore. I think you're looking at established brand. If like if if seven years is like your new minimum, I think that is a I think that's a relatively good cutoff point. I'm I'm gonna disagree with a little bit of what everyone said. I think good. craft Ooh, I think a, go. I think a distiller could be around for, for 100 years and still be a craft distiller. I think they could have 12-year-old bourbon and still be a craft distiller. What I'm looking for is, do they have a pot still? Do they grind in-house, their grain in-house? Uh, do they locally source? How are you agitating the the match? I mean, you you have this computer array set up or are you doing better. or yeah, or are you doing it doing things by hand? And are you doing it kind of in the someone had mentioned the, you know, the old world way? I mean, I don't necessarily like that, but are, are you doing it small and are you doing it personally? Um, and are you not doing it in a mechanized way? To me, that's craft. And I think the reality is you're not going to have a whole lot of volume. So maybe fit at least under the discus, which is which is a lot lower than the uh, than the uh, Craft Spirits Association. I mean, a lot lower. So maybe you hit that low threshold. But I think you're going to hit that because it takes so much longer and you're you're not distilling to the same high proof that the big factory distilleries do. Uh, you're not putting it into the barrel that like the big factory distilleries do. So that's what I'm looking at. Are you a factory or are you this idyllic little limestone distillery in the middle of Nowheresville, Kentucky? That That's what I'm looking for. That's what I think of when I think of craft. There's a lot of good stuff that's even happened in the chat. Like people are saying like, uh, you know, Chattanooga whiskey, like they think they're no longer craft because they're starting to keep up with supply and there's a lot more demand for their rye and they can now keep up with it. So maybe, maybe I don't know what, Maybe we'll come back to this. I think it's a it's a good conversation to have, and because who knows, in six months or a year, we might have a completely different outtake on on what this is, and who knows? That's the great thing about this ever changing world that we live in, and it uh, well at least with bourbon, it doesn't seem like it. It's like every freaking week. God, <laughs> I know. But let's go ahead and let's call it, and we can talk a little bit after this, and make sure everybody sticks around for. Some good good chat afterwards, but fellas, I, this is a great roundtable, a lot of good topics, uh, and just to kind of put it out there for everybody, I didn't really have anything this morning, and I put it out on our little Twitter DM chat, and I said, hey, who's got some good topics for today, and uh, this is a good group convening of, of minds and, and just kind of bringing this all together, so shout out to the guys here for making some good ideas and suggestions to, to kind of talk about tonight, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start doing this every single time, and Quit taking the work <laughs> off my back. <laughs> That's why I do it with above the chart like that. I just source it out like, oh, great idea. What do you I want will, me to talk about? I will, I will read that question and give my opinion. It's fantastic. It's fantastic. But I do want to let the guys give one little shout out to where you can find them uh, one last time. So, Blake, I'll start over with you. Yeah, as always, thanks for having me. Blake from Bourboner and Sealbox. Um I am the Cal Ripken of the Roundtable. If you don't know what that means, you're listening for the first time. I have not missed a roundtable. And really, I see we're like really close to being on time. And so I'm trying to extend this out as long as possible. So Lauren yells at us all. and <laughs> So I'll pass it off to somebody else. Brian, we'll move it over to you. All right. Thanks again for having me, Brian, with Sipping Corn and BourbonJustice.com. And uh, I really appreciate it. I don't have Blake's record, but I'm trying. <laughs> pretty good you're pretty good all right jordan sure this is jordan one of the three guys from breaking bourbon at breakingbourbon.com find us for the latest reviews and our release calendar 
Fantastic. And make sure you follow them, all the socials, follow Bourbon Pursuit on all the socials. If you do like what you hear, want to be a part of our community, check it out, patreon.com slash bourbon pursuit. With that, cheers, everybody, and we'll see you all next week.